This month, we're re-examining the Lord's Prayer. And Kathleen McGowan bases these transformative steps on the rose with six petals found at the center of the labyrinth at Chartres Cathedral in France. And those petals, from left to right, they're faith, surrender, service, abundance, forgiveness, and overcoming obstacles. But you'll remember... The seventh step within that rose with six petals is in the center, and that is love. Now, last week, we covered faith and surrender, and I know it was a long one, but this stuff is important. Today, we look at our third petal, service, which corresponds to the line, as in heaven, so upon earth. We say this one all the time, and I know we can agree that God is good when... All the time. And if we're following the steps in Kathleen McGowan's book, our faith in that goodness is stronger and more sure than ever, right? But when the going gets rough, for some of us, it may be kind of easy to blame God, huh? You might ask what you're doing wrong. In fact, some folks might look at all the scary stuff out there in their lives and in the world, and make that whole mess the foundation, or dare I say justification, for a belief that God doesn't exist. On page 86, she says, So if the question is, why doesn't God wipe out the evils of the world, then the answer is, because human beings created the evils of the world. We must be accountable for our actions. God doesn't eradicate the human and environmental damage because God didn't cause it. God will help us do it, but we must first show an understanding of our own failings that caused these problems, followed by a desire to set things right. So let's consider for a moment the role of a parent or caretaker of a child. If that child makes a mess and breaks things and walks away as though nothing happened, should a parent or caregiver follow that child from mess to mess, cleaning and repairing everything in the rugrats' wake free from uh, consequence, or, worse still, free from taking the opportunity to learn A new way? Of course not. You're not going to follow the wreckage. You're going to teach the clean. Right? Hopefully they'll learn to avoid making messes in the future. So here's where that service pedal comes into play. God is waiting for us to clean up the mess we've made. We have work to do. She says on page 87, and I really do love this, she said, it is through service that we affect global transformation. Every single person who even makes a commitment to this idea makes a difference. Every act of goodness brings us a step closer to creating an earth that mirrors the perfection of heaven that God desires for us. But you may ask, have you seen the news? No. 
Do you know what's going on out there? No. There's all this war and cruelty and blight and pain and so many themses, but not enough us. That's the basic idea of our mental attitude when we stop to weigh the good versus bad, right? On page 39 of The Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes says, if we can conceive of only a little good, that's as much as we can experience. We must instill into the mind the fundamental proposition that good is without bounds. Only good and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. We must get this concept rather than continuing to think that there is a power of evil as opposed to the power of good. We experience good and evil because we perceive a presence of duality rather than unity. Us and them. Hear this. This one element of divine law which I I wish with my whole heart, with everything that I am, that everyone on this planet could get behind. Every good deed neutralizes a bad one. Every act of service eliminates some act of oppression. Every prayer for peace eradicates an impulse of war somewhere. This is so powerful and so necessary every day that I printed it out for you. Put it on your TV at home. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car wherever you do your, your, your big thinking about thoughts, which may give you some anxiety. Put it on there. I was going to laminate them. But I got to tell you, I left the laminator in the bookstore and the laminating sheets at home. So that didn't happen. If you would like a laminated copy, see me afterward and I'll get on that this week. Um, But it is very, very powerful, is it not? One teeny tiny shift counters entirely the opposite somewhere else. Every single time, every good deed neutralizes a bad one. Every act of service eliminates an act of oppression. And every prayer for peace eradicates an impulse of war. And here's a mental aid that I use with those Barnhart kids all the time. And it's one that Kathleen McGowan used in her book as well. Um, I want you to imagine one of those old scales. Okay, the kind with two plates suspended from a bar that has to balance, right? One plate represents the light in the world. The other represents all the darkness. Okay? Every time you perform an act of service, meaning every time you are kind to someone, every time you are peaceful when chaos threatens around you, Every time you say a prayer for peace or comfort or healing, every time you shine some of that perfect holy light in your heart in the world, you add good to the scale. Good outweighs bad with every smile, 
every kind deed, every positive moment on earth, while we may have the tragedies of this world thrust before our eyes, the simple truth is there's a whole lot more good happening than bad. The bad stuff just gets more attention. This world is made up of energy, and we have the ability to impact that energy any way we want to. The choice is ours. This is important. It is a choice we make with all our actions every day. Learn that. Learn it and live it every day. Teach it to everyone who will listen. Start with your friends and family, especially the kids, because the kids are new, and they're more in touch with their connection to God. So they're easy. It's easy for them to recognize that as truth. You see that? We hear that it's true. They feel it. Teach them. Sharing this concept in and of itself is an act of service. On page 89, she says, when you perform an act of kindness, service, or peace, you are creating your own spiritual insurance policy. Each positive deed that you perform raises the vibration of goodness and protection around you and your family and helps you attract more abundance into your life. Abundance of wealth, abundance of love, abundance of well-being. What you do makes a difference. What you think makes a difference. Who you are in the world makes a difference. And every single person counts in this complex global equation. And who you are, make no mistake, is a perfect extension of the love of God. If you didn't know that, know it now. You are a perfect extension of the love of God. Demonstrating that helps you to attract more and more abundance into your life. Abundance of wealth. Abundance of love. Abundance of well-being. What you do makes a difference. What you think makes a difference. And who you are in the world makes a difference. You and your actions matter. They matter every day. And so does the choice not to act. Choosing to do nothing is the same as allowing the scale to tip toward darkness. So what does it mean to be of service? Yes, it means volunteering to help out. It means putting some of your money and time into things which will benefit others. It means doing all of the selfless charitable acts you've heard and seen in others, but it's so much easier than you may think. You're also being of service simply when you're behaving in a kind and generous way toward everyone you encounter as you go about this business of life. Let me say that again, kindness toward everyone you encounter in this business called life. You may notice that in the title, forgiveness is in there, right? That's not our petal today, the petal of our rose. 
But if we are truly committed to being kind to everyone, we forgive before we judge. We do not judge because we see the God in everyone else. And therefore, forgiveness is instantaneous. I will say further, forgiveness is unnecessary as you move forward from today. Do you have to forgive that which has happened before? Those lists of rights and wrongs that we are holding on to? Yeah, that's something we're going to work on as we move forward. But today, know that you don't have to create more work on that end. Okay? Every sincere compliment, every kindness, every smile, every good deed, no matter how big or small, is an act of service, but it must be done sincerely. That's the thing. It's got to be backed with love to count. Everything must happen through love to count toward good. Doing or saying or trying to think good out of obligation, it doesn't do much. Remember this from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. On page 91, Kathleen McGowan writes, Recently, while traveling, my friend and I were going to view a particularly beautiful and famous church in Italy. Unbeknownst to us, a special mass was about to start, so many of the locals were in attendance. The ancient side door was sticky and hard to open, so while my friend struggled with it, an elderly lady behind us, desperate to get in, before the mass started, she began to hit him with her cane. (laughs) Somewhere, the love piece of the Christian message just wasn't connecting with this lady. She was on a mission, but it was a mission of duty and obligation, not a mission of love and service. She had to get in there, right? She had to. That's obligation. And what greater service is there when you are being of service than bringing peace, than choosing peace, than holding the peace where others may be failing at any moment? So let's review. There's not so great and even downright tragic stuff happening in the world all the time, right? But every act of service, every act of love and kindness and joy and peace, it tips that cosmic scale more and more toward good, right? So what happens when we're talking about politics? Does it get a little sticky in the kindness department? 
Or when we're driving behind that slow or swerving person who's almost definitely paying attention to some screen in their car, more attention to that than driving. Do we get angry and swerve around them loudly? Do we give them dirty looks? And those things do not tip that cosmic scale toward good, do they? Are those things peaceful? Not always. No. On page 95, McGowan says, Blessed are the peacemakers. There is perhaps no greater service we can perform to demonstrate our love for God and our love for our neighbors than to work toward finding peaceful solutions to the world's conflicts. It is a global and human responsibility, an inseparable element of our promise to create heaven on earth. It is our mission because heaven is, perhaps above all, a place of peace. When we say, as in heaven, so on earth, we dedicate ourselves to making peace. Remember, every prayer for peace eradicates an impulse of war. In addition, our own behavior impacts the energy toward war or peace in our own lives, which are microcosms of the world around us. I say that all the time. She said it here and made it make so much more sense. So maybe just accept that others have opinions which differ from yours, but which are just as important to them, and that they have a reason and intention behind those beliefs which they feel are just as important as those behind yours. Accept that without trying to change their opinions. Really mean bless their hearts when you say it. Or maybe just go around that annoying driver ahead of you. Maybe their slow progress. Have you considered this? Maybe It is God attempting to slow you down in order to avoid something up ahead. So what if you're a little late? Will your life end because of it? Almost certainly not. And there's no such thing as a waste of time when you're in harmony with spirit. Take your time. Choose the peace. And remember, you are God's hands on earth. Mother Teresa said many, many wonderful things, but in my opinion, this is one of the most perfectly articulated fundamental truths I've heard. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks find, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
if you who are imperfect would give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Which brings us to our fourth pedal, abundance, which corresponds to the line, give us today our sufficient bread. She says on page 105, God wants you to have what you desire. He wants your greatest joy and abundance to come to you easily and without suffering. As your father, he will provide exactly what you need and what you ask for when you fulfill your spiritual promises and keep your service commitments. Lack is not your natural state. You feel it when you are spiritually unbalanced. So when you're committed to service in the world, fully invested in being the hands and hearts and minds of that Christ consciousness in the world today, abundance is the natural result. You see? McGowan says that there is a cycle of abundance with five stages, which need to be worked out individually. First is gratitude. Gratitude is everything. Love is everything, but gratitude is the other everything. Um, Gratitude brings all the good stuff, right? Because the more you acknowledge the good and give thanks, the more good rushes towards you. And the more you thank, the easier it is to find reasons to be thankful. Consider that line from the Lord's Prayer again. Give us today our sufficient bread. On page 107, she says, When you pause on this line and consider it, always acknowledge what you have been given and be grateful for it. You ask God to give you daily bread, and he does. If you and your family have all the basic necessities to live comfortably, you indeed have much to be thankful for. Do not take your gifts for granted. An enormous percentage of the population of this planet cannot even imagine the prosperity that you likely have in comparison. The second part of this abundance cycle is clarity. So now that you've acknowledged you're good with gratitude, it's time to be clear on what you want and why you want it. On page 109, she says, And you really can have just about anything you want in the world. God makes no judgment about what you want. She goes on to say that although we should know exactly what it is we're asking for, we should not be so specific that we underestimate what could be, or completely negate the humongous good God would love to give. She says on page 110, the reason I caution caution you against being too specific is this. Sometimes what you think you want is not what is best for you. And only God knows because God sees the entire divine plan unfolding. So while you may think that the house at 1234 Maple Drive is perfect for you, God may know of a house that's far better. Maple Drive may have termites. Or perhaps the school district isn't the best for your child. Or any number of other things that you cannot imagine, but that God already knows. And remember that one caveat. That which you pray for must be in alignment with your will 
and also with the divine plan. If you get no response to your prayer, remember the three answers that God gives to all prayers. They are yes, yes, but in my time, and no, but only because I have something much better for you. The next part of the abundance cycle is commitment. God knows that the more secure and fulfilled you are, the more likely you will be to share your good fortune with the world around you. And to illustrate the point, um, on pages 112 and 113, she shares the story of her friend James. James wanted an expensive European sports car. Um, James has a real passion for cars, and I found this relatable because our 19-year-old has been a gearhead since he was in diapers. Um, And James inherited this, he and his brothers did actually, from their father, who was big time into cars. And growing up, they all went to car shows with their dad. So for James, having that car would represent his happy childhood and bring him a kind of fulfillment he couldn't get. From anything else. Now remember, God doesn't pass judgment on what you want and why you want it as long as it's harmonious with the divine plan. This is also why none of us should pass judgment on what others desire. As we don't know the deeper emotional reasons or attachments that are at the root of these wishes. And yet, Because James realized his wasn't the most spiritual of requests, in his prayer, he pledged to donate to a charity when he bought the car. And guess what? A very rare model came available at an extraordinarily low price because the owner was leaving the country and wanted to sell it in a hurry. So James bought his dream car, and every time he made a payment... He would also make a monthly contribution to the cause he pledged to support. But the story doesn't end there. James also discovered that other people see his car as a symbol of success. And they want to know how he got it. And so James uses every opportunity to reinforce that service-based prayer process. He shares it with all of those who will listen. So what on the surface appeared to be an unspiritual desire has given James the opportunity to fulfill his service commitments on a number of levels while receiving exactly what he wanted. Third phase of the abundance cycle is trust. You have to trust and surrender to the divine plan. We did that, right? Last week, we surrendered. Remember who's driving the bus you're on and and that the road will always lead you to a greater and greater good. God wants to give you everything you want, but also wants to make sure these wants are good for you. On page 114, she writes, in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus tells us how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. He also tells us that God already knows what we want and what we need before we ask him. This is an important reminder, not just of God's omniscience, but also the fact that God is far more creative than we are. One of the biggest mistakes you can make when praying for abundance is limiting yourself by being too specific. And she acknowledges The fact that this flies directly in the face of most of those law of attraction books on the market. 
right? Those tell you to emphasize every detail you can imagine. But she says, being too specific when asking God for something suggests that you know more than God does. Trust God's unlimited nature. You may just get the most astonishing surprise of your life. Um, And then she shares this parable, which I loved. She says, long ago there lived a man named Frederick who worked hard to provide for his family by taking jobs as a laborer in his villages. And Frederick and his family lived from day to day on his meager earnings. They sustained themselves in that way until a plague swept through the village. While Frederick's family was spared from the plague, they no longer had any means of income, as the illness had wiped out most of their community. Frederick knew he would have to leave his village to find work, and the nearest town was a long walk, but there was no other option. So he began the journey on the rough and rocky road toward town, but the thin soles of his old shoes couldn't protect his feet. By the time he got to town, his feet were cut and bleeding. He was able to find work, but his feet hurt so much that he wasn't sure how he'd be able to endure the walk back and forth into town each day. He simply couldn't afford to buy new shoes. So that afternoon, as he prepared for his painful walk home, he stopped to gaze in the window of the cobbler's shop where he saw a beautiful pair of boots with thick, solid soles. Those are exactly what I need, he thought. The price of the boots was a fortune, the equivalent of a month's worth of food for his family. Yet he became fixated on these boots. He believed they were the solution to his problem. Every day he would look to them and yearn. Then one day on his walk home, he decided to leave the path and go walk along the riverbanks. And as he got a little ways around the bend, he heard a voice crying for help. And so, on his painful feet, he hobbled down to find out what was the matter. And there he saw a man who says, Please, my son has fallen into the river. He doesn't know how to swim and neither do I. Save him. And so he did. And the man said, I cannot think of how to repay you for saving the life of my son. Tell me, what can I give you as a reward? And Frederick could not believe his ears as he looked down at the shreds of shoes on his feet. Sir, there's a pair of boots I've had my eyes on. This man, who happened to be the lord of the town, he attempted to interrupt, but Frederick would hear nothing else. He had been focused on this situation, and now it had come to pass. God was indeed generous and merciful. I must have those boots, my Lord. They will protect my feet and enable my work. They are the only thing I truly desire. Frederick was so enthusiastic and insistent that the Lord dispatched a runner to bring the cobbler to Frederick. The shoemaker arrived, and he fit the shoes tailored them to fit his feet exactly, and Frederick all but danced home to show them to his wife. And as Frederick left, the Lord watched him go, shaking his head. Strange, 
said the man to his son. I would have given him anything. A carriage and horses, a bag of gold, absolutely anything he wanted and more. And yet, he was so focused on those boots that he wouldn't let me suggest any of those. And so Frederick, content to have his boots, walked the miles to town and back to work every day as a laborer. He was happy enough, having received his specific wish, and never knowing he could have had so much more. And the last part of that abundance cycle is, again, gratitude. Frederick was incredibly grateful for those boots, we know. How much more grateful would he have been if he had put the idea of that singular pair of boots down so his hands could be free to receive all that was offered. And here's the key to everything we've done thus far. The key to all four of the petals we've looked at. Believe it. One of my favorite books is When You See It, You'll, or When You Believe It, You'll See It by Wayne Dyer. Wow, I almost said it backwards, and I, it's my book. That title alone, When You Believe It, You Will See It. That is a perfect way of delivering a powerful truth. And every page of that book is filled with the hows of doing that believing thing so you can see the results. Um, and when you really truly know, and to borrow the words of Ernest Holmes, you really truly know and you know that you know that God really is always here in every moment leading you and everyone in your life toward good. When you know that you know this, you can finally get out of the way and let it happen. It is the belief which must be solid before you can receive. And aren't we grateful to have that foundation of knowing already in place? God is good all the time. And so we bring today's talk to an end by reviewing what we've learned thus far. I know they're long, but there's a lot to cover. So what we've learned this far, our Father in heaven, which is both within and without us, your name is holy, and we honor that by seeing only the good with which you have surrounded us, for we know that good is all there is. May your kingdom come. May heaven come to earth through our hands and our hearts, as we do only that which is your will. As in heaven, so upon earth, we know that all that is, is good. And to further amplify that good and bring your heaven to earth, we commit ourselves to bringing forth only more joy and peace and health and happiness in our every thought and word and deed inspiring others to do the same. Give us today our sufficient bread as you have each and every day of our lives. We know that your very nature is giving, and so it is with gratitude that we serve as your instruments, knowing that even as you guide us, you are fulfilling our needs and wants 
with limitless abundance. And we say, so let it be. And so it is. Amen.